a little warning. This episode has some strong language. This is People Like Us, a show about Alt-MBA alumni. Here's Bjorn Bucker from Alt-MBA 4. Bjorn, thank you for taking the time to chat today. Uh, you have such an interesting story. To start, I read that you were a racer. How did you get started in racing? Like, what kind of racing did you do? Yeah, well, first of all, like, I'm really excited to, to talk to you. Like, I listened to a lot of the episodes. And like we said, is that it's a really interesting way of finding connections and uh, reach out to people. And uh, regarding, like, your question about race, how I got into it, I think, first of all, my dad was a racer, like, in the 70s. And was, like, when there was only, like, three television channels. And, like, he was one of those things that always got featured on television. Um, but it took a long time before he got me into it because, you know, it's expensive. Like it's, you know, it's like not the right thing probably to do. But at one point, though, my dad challenged me, said, Hey, if you can beat me, I will buy you a go-kart. And well, that's like, <laughs> that was a bet he didn't have to make like uh, too many times. Uh, and it's sort of like how I got started. I got quite started at a late age though. Normally as a kid, you start at like the age of four to six years old already, uh, to really go up. I started at the age of 14, which was late. Uh, but in my first year, I already became a uh, vice national champion, which my dad was like, holy crap, like the kid actually can do something. Now I need to like do this more seriously. And uh, yeah, the second year I went European, I became fourth in Europe. And then like where the story sort of like went on and got twice more like the vice European championship. And yeah, it was, it's, it's a fascinating sport, but it's a small world in a way, right? Is that in the essence, like most time these kids do between 16 to, or like six to 16, 17 years old. And then you go into like single seaters with wings and stuff, like a bit like Formula One, but only slower. And it's very expensive. Even today is that a year of go-karting would cost like easy 70, 80,000 euros, maybe 100,000 euros in like the top competitions. This is like crazy, right? This is not a sport that creates equality or something like, or like it's, it's like, it's so stupid. It's really for rich people or, uh, with sponsors. I was just lucky that my dad was very technical. He was an engineer. We can do a lot of stuff ourselves. And, uh, I got sponsors really early. So that was my benefit. But no, I enjoyed it. It was a part of my life. I still enjoy looking at racing. I don't feel bad. Like I want to race. Like sometimes of look at Formula One, it's like, oh shit. Like, you know, I see some of the guys I was racing with. It's like, I, I kind of beat you a couple of times, you know? And it's always like fun uh, to do. But I think it's like a distant memory start to fade because even people like Hamilton, you know, they're getting to an age that they're almost, you know, stopping. And like, okay, I'm getting old now, right? I'm now 33 years old. It's like, this is the last pieces of like sports life. So it's, I, I don't associate it much with my identity anymore. But it did it teach me a lot of like valuable lessons about how to deal with feedback and how to think about looking at yourself first, right? So in the sports, it's like everything is data-driven. All the data is measured. Um, you know, every lap, every corner, everybody can see if you're fucking it up or that, you know, you did a great job. And that really got so instilled into me that I just didn't know any other default than get criticism. Because, you know, even if I would win the race, I would like, you know, would win with like three seconds ahead. My dad would get angry at me. He says, you know, you, you were driving sloppy, like you can do faster. And like, I got this like sort of like inbuilt anger to like do even better. And it worked, right? And I think it's, it, it, the cool thing about it was, is that you sometimes, if you get to a certain level between a certain competition, you get this thing like flow state. You know, that you have this surreal experience that you feel like an outer body experience. Everything goes like kind of in slow motion and 
you know, like nobody can kind of touch you. You're so much better than anyone else. And it's really weird. Like, and I wasn't able to do that like every single time. Uh, but like a, a few times it was like, wow, this is like crazy. And you would just dominate the race. And that, that's what athletes also want, right? They don't want to just win a race. They want to dominate like a, a race because it's the ultimate achievement. Uh, but when I moved into sport, uh, into business, which I kind of was forced to at a big accident that I were broke nearly every bone in my body, my pelvis, my back, uh, my hips, like uh, my tailbone, that was pretty messed up. Um, it really forced me to think about shit. This was life with racing. Now I need to like do something else, I guess. And yeah, that like made quite a big impact on me. It was difficult to make the transition initially because you have this mindset of an athlete, but the workplace doesn't work like this. You know, it's because like in, especially in racing is that your first, uh, your teammate is your first competitor. And then you go into business and I kind of still had that same attitude. I wanted to win at everything. Everything was like a game I wanted to win. Like when people would set goals, I would put higher goals and then I would work harder. I would always try to like, I want to beat the competition. And I start to see my teammates sometimes as competition, which is absolutely wrong that I had to learn the hard way. Um, and I think that was, that's a difficult part. And then, like over years and years of practice, I try to figure out like, what's the part of the great, like the athlete mindset that helps and what is the stuff that doesn't work when you work with like a, with a team. And I think that's the thing I still take from my racing time. And sometimes it's fun, right? If people challenge me, it's still like kind of like fun to do something. But uh, I, I hardly, I think the last time I drove was five years ago for fun. And then it was like six years in between. So it's not, no, I don't have the addiction anymore. No. The other thing about your racing career is that you did it with your dad. Did that translate when you moved into the business world? I think what I learned most from my dad that I love him for still till today, like a lot, is like mindset of like just keep working hard and keep going at it and do not give up, right? It doesn't matter how dire the situation, you just do not give up. And I think I made quite a name at the, at the beginning that I sometimes had to start from the, uh, from the back because engine blew up in qualifying and I was able to win the race uh, anyway. And this didn't happen just once, it happened like four times. Um, and I think that was one of those things that you also learn. It's like, oh, crap, if I can do this from the back, but I'm not always doing it when I'm on the front, I'm probably not always giving it everything I got. And uh, I think that's something that my dad always did. He always gave it everything that he got. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think that translated into uh, into business, but we didn't start a business together or anything. I think it would be a terrible idea. I think like also with his father, they would like, my, my grandpa was a boat builder. And if I hear the stories of how the hammers flew across the garage, like, it's, no, I don't think it's going to be a good idea. So, so, so when, you, when you made this transition to business, was it, was it with another company or was it your own startup? Uh, well, I first, what I decided is that I wanted to go to business school, that like, I could go to work as quick as possible. I didn't want to study long. I thought it was, the system didn't work well. I could figure out how to learn on myself mostly. That was like my mindset really uh, early on. Um, and I started in the financial sector initially. You know, I worked there for a couple of years. I learned a lot there as well. Looking back, I was like quite impressed actually how forward thinking some of these companies were. For example, BNP Paribas, where it was like the whole idea of cross functional team, they invented, I think, 10 years before Spotify started talking about this stuff. 
And I think that was like interesting because like, oh, wait, we always just look at tech companies, right? Because they're so innovative. It's like, well, some of the stuff is just other companies also figured out. But I think it was at the age of 23 that I started my first company, which was in nanotechnology. I didn't know anything about nanotechnology, but like somebody told me, you know, here's this material. It's a, a pattern that expired from NASA. Uh, you know, I think you can do other things with it. I started talking to a petrochemical engineer. I got the three biggest books I could find on thermodynamics. Uh, just like, that's kind of like how I started to think. And I came up with this idea of, uh, uh, of like a special coating to use inside furnaces. Uh, luckily, like I didn't have to do all the chemical engineering because I would not be qualified to do so. But I understood enough from the first principles, like how to build a business from it. After a year, I sold that company because I realized like I don't know enough like how to actually run a company. I just knew like how to sell stuff basically. Um, and I think it was a good experience for me because like you get started, you know, you have this crazy idea. The word startup wasn't there yet. You know, nobody talked about it. You couldn't raise venture capital, especially not in the Netherlands. Like Jesus Christ, like the bank was the best option that you had. Um, and, uh, so, you know, and I, try, I used my saved up money. I tried to use some of the bank, but yeah, like crazy adventures as well. Right. I, you have to do a lot of like bluff poker to get in. I was like extremely young in an industry where mostly in the petrochemical industry in oil and gas industry where a lot of like old people are. Um, but yeah, I think it was cool. I think, you know, I learned a lot from there. Uh, I sold it. I stayed on as a. Uh, sort of like VP of business development for some time there. But I also realized, like, I remember when I got the first iPhone in my hand, I was like, I need to do something in this in this space. Like, I don't care what... I thought, like, instantly when I had the iPhone in my hand, I was like, this nano stuff is boring. <laughs> I need to do something with, like, software technology or something. It took some time to do, but I got a job as a product manager at a small startup in uh, uh, the Netherlands. We got some funding. I became head of marketing there. Company grew really fast. Uh, got acquired. We started merging with other companies. We sold of other companies, and it was a crazy journey there. And like in, a, in sort of like the sp- space of startups and scale ups in a short amount of time. Um, yeah, and I think that that was like where I learned like a lot. Like and also like you know this is also I think the first time I got in, in contact with Seth. Right. So I I remember I was like started as a product manager. And at one point, so I want to go international, but we don't have anybody in marketing. So I, I can probably figure it out. You know, like, let me do it. <laughs> and the CEO that like that bought the company said, well, you know, give it a try. And I, you know, start studying, 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 trying out stuff, testing stuff, you know, putting ads out, uh, PPC, like all this type of thing. And it really it actually worked. I sometimes don't realize what, but it just, uh, I was like, well, this is simple. Like, this is not so difficult. Like, why is everybody have to study for this stuff so long. And I think I also like looking back, I realized because the whole marketing thing exploded is so much different things. Like when social media became like a marketing tool, I gave up. I was like, no, this is like, this is not my thing anymore. Um, But I I really, really enjoyed it. Like there's so much I learned. I was so grateful for the mentor I had, uh, like Ed Harnish, who was like the kind of like the guru of like B2B, uh, software companies at the time uh, in the in this space that I really really appreciate like Walter Scott who was the CEO of um, G5 and Logic Now and TeamViewer who was sold um, 
that I also like learned a lot from also the hard way, right? They didn't give me an easy time or anything. They didn't hold my hand. Like they, they let me fall flat on my face like a couple of times, like really hard. It's like, oh crap. Like I thought this is where a mentor was for, right? To hold your head. So the, they, they helped me teach the, the hard way, which I was uh, grateful for. And yeah, from there, like, you know, after the company was sold, I had some time to take a step back. You know, I was working 100 hours a week for like five years and I kind of, you know, was burning myself out. Uh, I didn't feel I was burned out, but like looking at my behavior, I think I was burned out because I was just, you know, I was, I remember my mom saying at one point, it's like, I don't like who you are, who you, who you've become. And I was like, oh shit, I thought I did the right thing here, right? So I'm the youngest executive. I got a penthouse. I got a walk-in closet. Like, wasn't this the thing that I like, this is success, right? And my mom was so disappointed that I let go of all of my values and the kindness that I normally had to people. I was like, I was quite cold and hard and too analytical and, you know, too much like money, 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 money. And uh, I was grateful that my parents, like I have very direct parents, like the Dutch are quite direct people. But yeah, my, when my mom said that in my face, it's like, uh, oh shit, like there's something wrong here. And um, yeah, it gave me some time to travel to think start helping out some other startups and uh now i like a year ago i started my own startup uh, again this is kind of like where we where we are now and this is now a software company these days so not nanotechnology yeah and and what what is that company what 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 does it do so uh at blindfeet we kind of like we started with this idea we were like okay you know what if we can imagine a world where everybody gets to go home at the end of the day feeling they truly understand each other, right? And they really get to do work that matters. Because this is something in the Alt-MBA that was so mind-blowing to me. I remember when I put my first blog post out and the feedback that I got, I was like, uh, what? Like, I've never had so much detailed feedback in my entire life. And I was a person who constantly sought feedback. And I was like, wow, there's more people like me that are, you know, that want to put the effort in and like, don't see this as like a personal attack or anything. They just want to do great work. It's like, shit, like, why can't we like find a way to scale this? And uh, the more I was getting into it, the more I thought, well, I think one of the fundamental issues that we have today, and I think in society, this is like really enlarged. It's like, we really struggle to understand each other. And we were like, well, if we can't bridge this misunderstanding between each other, there's like, we, for, we can forget about human progress. Um, and yeah, we really started obsessing with that. We went into really psychological models. We went into um, in different like feedback models, like how we can actually do that. But what we also quickly learned is that the best feedback just goes face to face. Like feedback should not be at all kind of like awkwardly do this 360 stuff and it's like it's like well it's like 360 awkward it's not like 360 helpful most of the time um and it's all like very superficial and all this like you know this like high context in between the line communications like oh look, this doesn't kind of work and we started off the first product which was very similar to bridgewater's dot collector maybe you've heard of this uh from ray dahlia with ird meritocracy they have this dot collector where they collect everybody's perspective about everybody on different attributes and everybody can see what they rate you and all these different things. And it's like, you can't hide. And we're like, and we were building something so similar when he put this TED talk out. I was like, holy crap, actually company has something like this. Like I thought it was just a crazy idea. 
And because it got kind of triggered after 2016 elections, I was like, oh man, like all this like back and forth, this extreme communication from left and right, and nobody tries to like have a good argumentation. It's like democracy is kind of shit, like if it keeps working this way, right? We need to have a better way of communicating. And we didn't even have the problem in the Netherlands like it was in the US or the UK. I don't know, like it's probably starting there a little bit as well. And that's where it was like triggered off. And we did learn that what people theor- like intellectually think they want versus what they actually, how they behave when they have the tool is two completely different things. Um, and I think this is also what, what we find is that, you know, like we were talking a bit before we uh, got started, like, well, this is probably my roughest day I've had so far uh, in, my, in my career. And like, it was like, you know, the, the point where we realized you know, we tried so many different things and we were not getting this pull. You know, we had different uh, uh, products put out there and tools put out there um, that had led me to sort of have to make the decision of like, let everybody in the, in the company kind of go. Um, and we're talking about like the fact like, you know, well, what are we doing as a company? Well, we tried to really understand ourselves better, right? And the team better. And we did a lot of things that were super helpful. Like we, I remember we also created this thing called like a user manual. So we create like little manuals about ourselves like how to work with you like what are what your values are uh what you have no patience for like all those type of things but what i also realized right this doesn't necessarily help you find product market fit right we, we incorporate it into the product and even though that we help the team better understand each other we also quickly realized like without like you know hiring for the right values from the get-go you're so easy you're going to spend your time with each other because you're you just spend all this time in misalignment right if you value very different things and where you can't deal with direct feedback and i believe this is the way you know it should be run then you start to have like conflict and just the understanding was also not enough right so we were like okay shit you know that we're going to a point that we're running out of time and it happens to a lot of startups right I, even like segment and airbnb that like in the last dollars of the credit card try to all figure it out and we're kind of like at the point like we said crap, we really need to rethink the approach. And I think one of the things that we also talked about uh, a little bit is like, well, you just need to prototype really, really fast and just like build stuff that people want. And you really know what people want if they start asking for more. Because what we find is that intellectually, everybody loved the stuff they were doing when we showed it to them. It's like, oh, fuck, amazing. It will be great. But there's so much friction if you want to go through such a reflective type of thing. And there was a lot about reflection that it could only kind of work if we also provided workshops with it, right? How to create your values, how to create your principles, you know, like how to help your team reflect as a team and all those types of things. It's like, well, technology is not necessarily the answer for some of these things. Um, and that also, you know, uh, means sometimes that you spend a lot of time building technology and it takes so much time to build like good technology sometimes that you forget about just quickly getting stuff out there and you're just throwing at it. You listen to other problems, throwing more at it and wait until they come back. I want more, I want more. I have this other problem. Can you also solve this for me? Um, and I think this is something where you can be very lean for. Like we raised money quite quickly on this crazy idea, hire too fast. People thought, you know, oh, the product, oh, it'll be fine. This vision, blah, blah, blah. Vision is kind of bullshit. You know, it's really not important. Yes, like you need to have an idea of the future, but you instantly need to let it go. You say, okay, who are the people we're trying to solve their problem for? 
what do they need? Let's build what they need. Let's forget about our vision later. Let's first build what they need until they keep coming back more, more, more. Then worry about the vision. That's that's what I <laughs> that's what I learned in the hard way in the last couple of months as well. Yeah. Wow. So it sounds like you're putting down the technology and focusing on something else that the customers want with blind feed, or are you moving in a completely different direction? Well, I think you always need to think about like to keep the direction open, right? Because I think one of the exercises from the AltMBA about like sunken costs, I think that's definitely something to have in mind. So I spend a lot of time to reflect, you know, on like what are the different areas, what are the problems, what sometimes can happen if you invested so much time into a problem area uh, that you that your brain starts to keep making the shortcuts to this other thing that's already in your subconscious and keeps pushing that. Uh, so I don't know exactly the answer if we're already going to like move into it an entirely like different direction. Uh, I do think to to go less tech initially to really see you know what are lightweight like kind of like paper versions to just like test it out you know build lightweight super simple code like no not not more than five like two or five hundred lines of code that needs to be that stupid simple at the beginning um, and see if we can you know, quicker put stuff out there because sometimes what you, what you tend to do is that you do first prototypes with design or like first you just capture the problems, right? You come up with ideas of how to solve it. Do you do it on literally on paper or on a whiteboard? And then you make like a mock-up and the mock-up becomes a design prototype and it looks kind of real and get a good impression. And then when you get a lot of like really positive feedback, you think, okay, let's build this. But all that stuff that I just mentioned, you can do in a week. And then all the stuff before you get it out of like a working tech product is going to take two months. <laughs> and that's a lot of time you lose of that you're not able to learn enough because like what you do is that you try to test other things and then people are building this thing that you already know needs to change and then it, it will just take long. So it's really about, you know, super lean, do the simple thing first um, and just like figuring out on that way. And the funny thing is, is that what I did find is that a lot of the times you say, ah, it's a great idea for a product, but can you give me a workshop? We will pay for the workshop. We have this problem that about our values and about our principles. Like you seem to know a lot about this stuff. Can you help us out with that? Or, you know, can you help coach our like management team? Like, because there's an issue there. It's like, okay, shit, we're trying to kind of do it with technology, but maybe I should just do it first as a human a lot of times before I start like throwing in this like product mindset in a way. So yeah, that's where we're where we're at at the moment. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to to see where you take it. Yes. Well, like <laughs> me too. <laughs> I'm curious and excited at the same time where we're gonna take it. Yeah. So to close, I have I've one question that I ask everyone that I talk to. Uh, one of the goals of the show is to to foster connection among Alt MBA alumni. So how would you fill in the blank? Reach out if blank. Reach out if you want help. What's the most simplest thing to do first? Well, thank you, Bjorn, for, for being a part of this community and really just diving in and, and figuring things out. I, I find that to be really inspiring about, uh, about who you are and, and how you do things. Thank you so much, Covington. I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. This episode is hosted by me, Covington Doan, and edited by William Flato. Check out the show notes for ways to contact Bjorn.